Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, July 19th, 2020, we continue our series titled, The Parables. Today's sermon, What Will the Master Say to You?, will be taught to us by Pastor Doug Farrington out of Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. Enjoy. Shortly before he passed away, the 1925 Nobel Laureate in Literature, George Bernard Shaw, was asked a question by a young reporter. The reporter said, Mr. Shaw, if you could live your life over and be anybody you know or any person from history, who would you be? Shaw must have pondered that question or one like it before because he had a quick answer for the young man. He said, I would choose to be the man George Bernard Shaw could have been, but never was. Now, I appreciate the depth of that response. I I respect the introspection, the self-awareness, even the, the humility that he shows there. But man, oh man, when I near the end of my life, I don't want to have put myself in a position to feel as though I would have to give an answer similar to his. Truth is, I would much rather be able to say something like Jesus did a few days before his death. In John 17, four, Jesus says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Friends, basically, I wanna be able to say that by God's grace, I have become the man whom the Lord designed and desired for me to be. I want to be able to say that that, that I have honored and pleased my Heavenly Father with my life by striving to love Him above all else and to care for His people and to be obedient to His word. Of course, the reality is that what I have to say at the end of my life or even what you have to say at the end of your life, it's not nearly as important as what the Master will have to say to us. What I so want to hear when I meet Jesus face to face, what I pray that he'll be able to say to me is, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, I can't be the only one who desires to hear that, right? I mean, I could ask for a show of hands, but that would be kind of silly. Let's do this. Let's pray together, and then let's really jump in with both feet. Heavenly Father, thank you God, thank you for your provision. Thank you for being Lord of all. God, you give us all that we have. And with that, you give us opportunities to serve you and serve people. Lord, what a privilege that is. And what a sobering responsibility it is too. God, I pray that you will continue to equip us with the necessary faithfulness, the necessary obedience, with the full measure that it takes to show you the honor and the glory and the adoration that you deserve. God, we love you. We thank you. Lord, I pray that in this time that we spend together today, God, I pray that I would decrease so that you could increase. Lord, speak. Speak to all of us and give us the message that you would have us here. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Now, you may have recognized that quote, well done, good and faithful servant, as having come from the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. If you did, 
it's no coincidence because that is the parable that we'll be talking about this morning. Specifically, we'll be reading in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. But I want to give you just a little bit of context before we get all the way into it. See, Jesus is talking with his disciples here, as, we'll, as we will read today. And he's talking with his disciples about end times. He's giving them a little bit of a glimpse into the future of mankind and, and even the future of time as we know it. And of course, the disciples, they don't really get it completely. And probably the reason that we get it better than they is because we have the opportunity to look back historically and see how things unfolded in the, in the days, weeks, and 2,000 years or so after this conversation took place. But Jesus shares this particular story as an illustration of the fact that every person will, at some point, have to give an answer to God as to what it is that we've done with our lives. In light of the imminent return of Christ, we will all have to answer for how we utilized everything that God entrusted to us. Now, as we get ready to read the passage together, let me, let me give you the line just before. So this will be in Matthew chapter 25. Our passage is 14 through 30, but I want to share with you just a little piece of, of verse 13 because it leads us well into our passage. Jesus says, watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two and to another one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also, he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you had scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth." 
There's a whole lot there. Maybe even, maybe even more than meets the eye. I'll tell you, as is always the case for me, when I have an opportunity to prepare and present a lesson like this, a sermon like this, the Holy Spirit convicts me. (laughs) Every time I I really kind of get the feeling that he's sitting there and he's looking at me with love and grace, thankfully, but I I feel like he's just kind of smiling and saying, yeah, Dougie boy, I picked this one special for you. Like I said, there's a lot of great stuff here, but let's focus on five main points from this parable. The first thing that we see is that everything we have comes from God. In verses 14 and 15, right at the beginning of the passage, it says this, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. We see that the servants each received All that they did based solely on the say-so of the master and based on the master's assessment of the servant's varying abilities to handle it. In the parable, it's, it's money, it's material wealth that's used for the purpose of the illustration. And it's probably because we can all relate to that to one degree or another, of course, right? But for sake of clarity, the, the biblical term talent is actually, it's a unit of weight approximately 75 to 80 pounds. A talent of silver, 75 to 80 pounds of silver in today's money would be worth almost 21,000 bucks. It's quite a bit. But to put it into the perspective of the disciples who were hearing this from Jesus, it's helpful to understand that a talent was equal to 6,000 denarii. And a denarii was understood to be one day's wage for a common laborer. So one talent equals 6,000 days wages for a common laborer in that time and place. One talent would be the equivalent to almost 19 years worth of pay for most folks. Now I'm not sure that the, the dollars and cents side of things are super critical here in the story so much. What, what Jesus wants the disciples and ultimately what Jesus wants us to understand is that the master is bestowing upon the servants something of almost immeasurable incalculable value. I believe that it's it's an important exercise for us to regularly reflect on all that we have. And more importantly, to reflect on all that we have, we do because God has given it to us. All of it. Think about what you have. Your possessions and wealth your abilities and giftedness, your relationships, friends, family, your time, your passions, your sphere of influence, everything that you have. James 1.17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. That's pretty great. 1 Chronicles 29.12 says this, both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. We serve a mighty God, y'all. Everything you have comes from God. What are you doing with it? The second point is this. 
We are stewards, and God is the owner. Again, in verse 14, it says, the master called his servants and entrusted to them his property, right? The idea of ownership and with whom it rests is critically important. A biblical worldview of stewardship can be defined as utilizing and managing all resources God provides for the glory of God and the betterment of his creation. Biblical stewardship is managing everything God brings into the believer's life in a manner that honors God and has an impact on eternity. Stewardship begins and ends with the understanding of God's ownership over all things. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, God says in Revelation. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, Psalm 24.1. And here's Deuteronomy 10.14. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Pretty clear. It's all his. We might sometimes feel like it's ours, that we own it but the reality is it all belongs to God and we're simply stewards of it. What I have isn't really mine, it all belongs to him and knowing that that he placed me on earth with a specific purpose in mind for me that he had planned before the foundations of the earth and then he provided me with every ability, talent and resource necessary to allow me to fulfill that specific calling. That's, That's empowering and it's humbling at the same time. Knowing that Jesus is coming back sometime, when he arrives, man, I I want him to find me being faithful. I want him to find me being an excellent steward of all that he's entrusted to me. Because he owns it. And he wants me to use it to love him, to love his people, and to be about the business of making disciples. Remember, In verse 15, we see that the master gave one of the servants five talents, another he gave two talents, and to the third he gave one talent. This is a perfect example of our third point, which is that God doesn't give us all the same thing, but he does give us all something. Go back to the exercise we talked about just a moment ago. Think about what you have, what God has entrusted to you, how God has gifted and blessed you, Maybe you're a great singer or a musician like the people on our worship team. Maybe you have the gift of compassion or hospitality or organization or administration. Maybe you're a fantastic football player or basketball player or soccer player. Maybe you can solve a Rubik's Cube in 30 seconds. What if, what if you're a social media influencer and you have thousands and thousands of followers? Maybe you can teach or lead, or you're a visionary thinker. Maybe God has gifted you with tremendous intellect, or maybe God has gifted you to be able to relate with people who struggle in school, or who process information differently. Maybe the Lord has given you incredible faith, or a special ability and desire to pray without ceasing. You have a love for kids? or a heart for people with special needs? Maybe God has given you financial resources and the ability to manage those really, really well. 
and faithfully. This list, this could go on almost indefinitely. Across the Highlands Church body, which in the grand scheme of things in God's church is relatively small, but across the Highlands Church body, this list could be nearly endless. I want you to reflect on that. I want you to think, really think, about what that might be for you. He may not have given us all the same thing, but he gave each of us something. 1 Corinthians 12, four through seven says this. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Friends, I really would encourage you Write down, make a list of all the ways that God has blessed and or equipped you. Take your time. Think it through. Then look at that list first with sincere gratitude and look at each thing on your list and ask yourself, what are you doing with everything on that list? How are you using it? Are you honoring God with the ways that you are stewarding that which he has put in your care. You'll find benefit in that. The fourth point, tagging right into that, is that godly stewardship is active. There's such a stark contrast between the first two servants and the third in the parable. The first two, they went to work, man. They got right after it immediately. They didn't make any excuses. There's no indication that they spent time comparing what they got relative to what another received. They didn't say, I'm too young, or I'm too old, or I'm too tired, or I don't, I, they didn't make any excuses like that. The third servant, though, he literally buried it in a hole and hid it. Not only did he not utilize it, he made it invisible. In essence, he, he completely devalued what it was that the master had entrusted to him. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Use it. Genesis 2.15 says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Picture it. This is Genesis 2.15. It's at the beginning of the Bible. This is, this is in the midst of the creation account. God had just finished creating the heavens and the earth, and then he made man, and he presented everything to Adam, and he said, I'm giving you dominion over this. Talk about almost an embarrassment of riches for Adam. I picture the, the, the pristine environment and he said, Adam, this is yours to look after. And he put him there to work it and keep it. So from the beginning of mankind, from the start of time as we know it, stewardship was what was expected of us as we receive God's blessings. Now, I don't wanna leave you with the wrong impression that, I, that I'm talking about salvation through works. I, I, I don't, I, man, I certainly don't want to do that because that's contrary to what God's word says. What I'm saying is, and, and this is, you got to be clear on this, salvation is only available by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, the son of God. 
The behavior or the activity or the good stewardship doesn't create a relationship that's right with God. The behavior shows, it is indicative of a relationship that's right with God. Does that make sense? See, it's been said that faithfulness produces fruitfulness. If you think of the fruit of the Spirit, one fruit, nine characteristics, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. I might have gotten them out of order. I apologize if I did. But if you take your talent, if you take the gifts that God has given you and you bury them and you sit on them and you hide them away, the fruit won't show up. It won't be manifest. Point number five is this. We will all give an account. Jumping back into the passage, it says, starting in verse 19, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made you five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And when the servant who'd been given two talents, who'd worked within that framework, who'd, who'd labored and seen his two turn into four, he came to the master and he gave his account. When he did that, the master didn't say, yeah, son, this is pretty good, but the other guy, he just gave me back a total of 10. You're only giving me four. No. The second servant received the exact same response as the first because what the master cared most about was the faithfulness, was the stewardship. Not so much the end result. The result is in the hands of the master anyway. What the second servant heard, well done, good and faithful servant, you have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. How sweet is that? And then he got the same reward as the first servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You know what that sounds like, what that feels like? As I read those words, what that feels like to me is Way to go, daughter. Way to go, son. I'm proud of you. Man, enter into the joy of your master. That just sounds like, come with me and let's celebrate. The hard contrast between the conversation that the master had with the first two versus the conversation he had with the third servant is stark. When it was time for him to give an account, the third servant immediately began to make excuses. And his excuses indicated many things, but primarily a lack of understanding of the master's character. The third, the third servant was, was fearful. Fearful of the master, fearful of failure, fearful of exposing a lack of faith and faithfulness. When the master saw that the third servant had squandered his talent, that he'd wasted the opportunity to use the gift to honor the master, that the third servant hadn't truly even known and believed in the master. The master called the servant wicked and slothful, wicked and lazy. He took away the gift and he cast him out. The language that Jesus uses at the end of the parable where he says, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
that speaks of, condemna- of condemnation. He's talking about hell. The first two servants represent those who not only love and have put their faith in Jesus Christ, but whose faith and love has spurred them on to faithful stewardship and good works. The third, one, the, the, the third servant is one who doesn't believe, who never responded in faith to the Spirit's nudging. The third is eternally separated from God, eternally separated from the master. When the master returned and the servants came before him to account for how they'd handled his resources, we see two very different responses, both on the part of the servants and also on the part of the master. We know that we'll all have to stand before God and explain to him how and why we lived our lives and how we utilized all that he has blessed us with. Romans 14, 12 says it as clearly as as it could be said. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Church, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back someday and maybe soon. He has given all of us, you think about it, so, so much. With all those gifts, though, come significant responsibility. When you meet him face to face, don't you want him to be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant? Enter into my joy. I know I do. Worship team, will you come up? We're gonna pray together. We'll have some worship. This is a lot to chew on. There's a lot to ponder. We're called to be faithful stewards. Let's pray about it. Heavenly Father, thank you. God, thank you for all the blessings that you so extravagantly pour out on us. God, thank you even for the things in our lives that are hard, because those two are opportunities for faithful stewardship. God, you're so good, and we know, we trust, we lean into, we cling to the fact that that you want the very best for us, and God, we know that your ways are higher than our ways. God, we know that even when things are happening that we don't understand, we know that we can trust you. We know that all good things come from you, God. We're so grateful for that. Lord, thank you for this time we could be together. Thank you for our church. Thank you for this amazing worship team. And thank you for your word that we could study and come to know you better. Lord, we love you and we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The call is higher and deeper. The call to faithful stewardship of our very lives in every aspect. I pray that that I, that you, that we all will respond to God's call, that higher, deeper call, in a way that brings all honor and glory to the living God. Bless you.